Welcome to JCOS Presents Sound Sociology in conversation with. And today I'm here with the head of psychology from JCOS. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about why you've ended up in psychology? Okay. Um, hello. So um, I'm Philippa Darrell and I've been teaching psychology here since um, the sixth form started about nine years ago. And I did a psychology degree and then didn't work in psychology for a really long time. I did some uh, youth work in Israel and some community development work in London and ended up teaching psychology and absolutely love it as an A-level subject. I find that students find it so relatable and interesting and it applies to so many different areas of the world around us. So it's a lovely subject to teach. Absolutely. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the tough question straight off the bat, which is psychology in a science or a social science? tricky it's tricky it very much um establishes itself as a science Mm -hmm. the way that um aqa frame it is very much a science i think the truth is that when we're talking about human behavior it has to be a social science because the rules of science cannot apply in the same way to people as they apply to physical objects i mean i always find it really interesting i worked in in numerous schools where they've blocked it with science and then they've blocked it with social science and then how they've even blocked it sometimes in humanities absolutely yes and i find it and this is kind of the reason why we don't we're doing today's podcast because it's um kind of starting to appreciate you know what can sometimes be a dull subject to an extent i guess from a from students perspective but research methods and Mm -hmm. kind of this idea of how do we classify ourselves and what makes a subject credible in the eyes of being published and being able to be uh, taken seriously in other fields of expertise to you know whether it's business whether it's uh, leadership and etc um so my real first question is quantitative or qualitative is like what what should we be focusing on as a as a group of researchers so it's interesting um so psychology is all about studying human behavior and it is difficult to study human behavior Um, in a meaningful way and yet in a way that is credible that is reliable that is consistent and objective Um, there is we we focus more on quantitative methods in psychology we like data we like statistical analysis we like to know the probability Mm -hmm. that things are meaningful or not but I really think quantitative Uh, data needs to be looked at alongside qualitative data so we need the data we need to be able to analyze it we need to know about significance uh, mathematically but at the same time if we don't get the voices of people and a little more depth and validity then we're we're lacking a full picture of human an understanding of human behavior so so psychology airs more on the side or prefers quantitative methods Mm -hmm. But really, when we're talking about human behaviour, we cannot ignore the qualitative stuff too. Yeah, I think, it, you know, in sociology, it, it's, it's similar um, to the extent of, like, there's two schools of thought, and I don't know whether you've ever come across them in psychology, but there's these kind of philosophical, um, methodological approaches, that's a mouthful. Um, positivism, which uh, tries to take the approach of treating society in a scientific way so to to kind of plan and to have a methodology behind how you conduct your research with the overall intent of gaining quantitative research so you know there are positivist researchers out there who like uh, the use of closed questionnaires the use of structured interviews um, the use of secondary quantitative data but then there's also interpretivists who 
I guess it, when often when we think about sociology, it's probably erred more that way, which are the group of people who prefer qualitative, unstructured interviews, um, covert participant observations or any observations for that fact, uh, longitudinal research, um, or open questionnaires. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything similar within psychology? Yeah. So we do use those range of methods. So we use things like content analysis and thematic analysis. We, we use qualitative methods, uh, open questions, um, but they tend to have a little less credibility within psychology than the quantitative methods that we use. So we tend to use laboratory experiments a lot mm-hmm. um, where we're measuring behaviour in a way that can be quantified. Mm-hmm. Um, but often, but we will say that that means that research will lack validity. So we like to have both methods, but psychology is more on the positivist mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. The similarity between psychology and sociology lies in in that aspect and um, but they there is overlap because we we both do both yeah it's um i mean it's so i've done, I, i've been interested in sociology like since the age of 11 which makes me a bit of a sad or or incredibly passionate one or the other but um it's funny no matter how i've looked at the subject for the best part of 25 years um i've always erred towards a more qualitative way of doing mm-hmm. the research and I've always found it difficult to get to grips with quantitative-based research because um, I always have my slightly um, Foucault brain on, mm-hmm. which is going, well, all knowledge is a construct. So, like, mm-hmm. even even quantitative data in its own way is a construct. Are there ever any question marks that you think about when you're doing, uh, when you're completing or conducting quantitative-based research in psychology? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, so, um, firstly, I was just thinking um, that we. Um, th- one of the difficulties that I have with what you were just saying is that how do we know that somebody's interpreter? If we are using qualitative methods, how do we know that somebody's interpretation isn't just their subjective mm. interpretation? So, we need things to be reliable we need so so we 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 study freud on the a-level course Mm -hmm. and freud is fascinating and his opinions are fascinating Mm -hmm. but they're his opinions and how how can we uh, study um how can we say that we have found anything that is meaningful if it's not evidence-based and the evidence isn't reliable evidence so and i think as a society we're moving more towards evidence-based research we like to to know things but of course uh, we, we like to know things kind of objectively mm. we like to kind of think that things are factual but of course we're talking about people and the problem with that is that people, people are hugely individual results. and do can we ever know so there's a nomothetic ideographic approach in psychology that we talk about which is the idea that if we can come up with rules that apply to many people and theories that apply to many people that can be used really usefully to move things on. So if we find, for example, that um, if research finds that a a significant number of people with depression Mm. get better if they take an antidepressant Mm. and their symptoms reduce, that that is what we call a nomothetic approach. So it's a theory, we can use that to develop a theory that applies to lots and lots of people. 
of course that ignores what sociology would yeah. use, which is more of an ideographic approach, which is it's not actually telling us about an individual person's mm -hmm. experience in any way. And so you lose something as a result. I tell you what, this is really fat, and I know we had like a schedule above a bit, so we're definitely going to come to I'm just going to stick on this because I really like this. The Within sociology, you, you know, we have positivism and interpretivism, but there's also this other methodological approach um, uh, adopted by feminists called standpoint feminism, mm -hmm. which is all about the embracing of subjectivity and women's own narrative mm -hmm. in research. I can only imagine from a psychology point of view, that couldn't be anything worse. Well... Um, how useful is it if we're uh, if we're looking at the experiences of individuals of course that has validity of course we need to know individual experience mm. but what, how can we use that how, how do we usefully use that to improve reality for many people so what we're looking for often in psychology is um, general theories mm -hmm. so that we can support a significant number of people and move things on. Oh, yep. And when we're looking at individual experience that has richness and, um, and validity that is, yep. that is absolutely essential, what do we do with it? Mm. How do we use it to inform policy? And I think this is where it's really interesting because in, you know, the, as someone who has tattooed himself even for his love <laughs> of qualitative research um, it, it, it does raise a real question mark over where we where does qualitative research go and especially against the backdrop of the world we live in currently mm -hmm. where everyone's voice matters mm -hmm. it it does create uh, a question mark over well how do we reach objective objectivity yeah in the bid of kind of modernist ideas of progress mm -hmm. um you mentioned earlier yeah. uh, about laboratory experiments being something that um, psychologists would um, probably have a preference towards in terms of research. Um, are there any interesting studies you could tell us about that have used lab, lab experiments that maybe we might cross over on? Yeah, well, there's absolute loads. Um, and laboratory experiments are psycholo psychologists' often preferred method of research because they are about trying to find out a cause-effect relationship and limiting extraneous variables. Um, of course, in the real world, that's really tricky. Um, Milgram is a study that we really, um, that overlaps, um, that's studied in both psychology and sociology. It's not strictly a laboratory experiment. It's actually a controlled observation in laboratory, in a la in laboratory conditions. Um, and the reason why is because it doesn't have a very clear independent variable. Mm -hmm. So lab experiments are all about looking at the effect of an independent variable on a dependent variable. But Milgram's study is all about looking at the effect of somebody, an experimenter, giving a participant some instructions to do something that they know is is morally unacceptable. So the experimenter asks the participant to give an electric shock to uh, somebody who they think is just another naive participant. Actually, that person happens to be a confederate, they're an actor, they're in on the study. And um, what the experimenter does is it ta the study takes part at Yale University, which is really prestigious in America, and the experimenter wearing a kind of authoritative white jacket says to the participant, um, right, you need to give this person who's sitting in another room electric shocks. And they set it up so it's really, really believable. And they found, they did the study originally with 40 American men, a whole range of, of, of different people coming from different backgrounds. And, and every single one of those 40 men um, did what the experimenter told them to do and gave an electric shock to this 
complete stranger for absolutely no reason up to 300 volts and actually 29 of the 40 people gave 450 volts which is a potentially lethal electric shock to give to another person that's the quantitative data the percentages what's really interesting about this study is the quantitative data because the qualitative data that was observed was that these participants were shaking they were biting their nails they were sweating they they hated doing this they felt so uncomfortable they were begging to stop but yet there was no gun to their head they carried on doing it and it tells us this hugely interesting thing about human behavior and what we're capable of i mean as someone who also teaches a bit of history on the side as well as sociology, there's there are links with like things to do with the Holocaust and, yeah. and and the ideas of when you stick someone in in an authoritative figure or or someone in a in a, a piece of clothing that suggests they have authority over you, um, they will do what they what they're told to do, mm-hmm. and it just gets us thinking about ideas of responsibility Absolutely. and conformity. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of you know that one experiment actually pulls out loads of yes. different. Uh, different conclusions across you know an interdisciplinary type approach um you know milgram the milgram experiment um absolutely famous uh, i believe darren brown's also done a version of it he has you... yeah yes absolutely and found very similar results actually um i think the Dar- i mean if you haven't if you haven't had a look at it darren brown one is very interesting you can find it on youtube yeah. just put darren brown milgram experiment um it doesn't go without saying that his findings super interesting in terms of quantitative and qualitative um, conclusions but the thing we're probably more concerned about from a research methods point of view is the ethical debate that mm. comes out of it um, from a psychology point of view are there any question marks over the the ethics of the research there are obviously ethical issues with that study so when we're talking about ethical issues we're talking about things like consent participants didn't give consent Mm -hmm. they didn't know they agreed to take part in a study they thought it was about something that it wasn't about they didn't know that the other person was a real participant they didn't know that those um electric shocks weren't real and we also talk about the psychological harm that could have been caused and we can we can learn from the qualitative reactions and there's video footage as well of the way that people felt during that study. It was it was horrible for them. They were under intense stress during the study. But in psychology, we talk about the cost benefits. So we consider the cost to the individual versus the benefits to society of us having found out this interesting stuff. Interestingly, in a um, post-study debrief with the participants, Milgram asked the participants how they felt about being part of the study and they they said the majority of them said they'd really felt like they'd learned something really important about themselves and about their own human nature and conscience and it would make them think more carefully about choices that they make in the future and of course also as a society as thinking about whether we we often think that our moral choices are secure and that we will never behave in a way that we would think would not be acceptable so we always we sometimes feel confident that we will behave positively no matter what and what Milgram argues that his study shows is that actually our behavior is far more dependent on situational factors and that any of us in that given situation would have behaved in the same way and that's a frightening thought and and it needs investigating and we need to take those findings and think well what as a society do we do if that is true um, so, so I would argue that the benefits mm. for society outweigh the costs for the individual participants. I think it's one that whenever I teach, um, whether it be Milgram experiment or maybe something with a bit more of a sociological twist, like um, Donald McIntyre's work on Chelsea Headhunters or Gang Leader for a Day, it's um, it's asking the students like, 
how far are you prepared to go for your research mm-hmm. and does you know ultimately does does the benefit of of more outweigh the individual i've always i've always kind of with that question i think i've flipped flopped over the years mm-hmm. of whether and i think maybe as i get older and a bit more uh, like oh sensitive to the world of the yeah. people i become a bit more um thinking about the people that we're working with and the participants um in psychology you know speaking as an individual psychology teacher and psychologist mm-hmm. like do you ever find yourself in that moral conundrum where you're going it's uh, not as easy as just for the benefit of society absolutely and and actually psychology has since those studies that were done in the kind of 50s and 60s there was a lot of studies into social influence at that time and a lot that were inspired often actually by Jewish psychologists post Holocaust looking Mm -hmm. at the kind of behaviour that had occurred during the Second World War Um, now there are the the guidelines that are in place by the British Psychological Society and the American Psychological Society are much more they they are much more about the rights of the individual and and I think that is important. I definitely think we lose something in terms of validity as a result mm-hmm. because um, it is much harder for psychologists to conduct research that is truly meaningful mm-hmm. um, and that has real validity when, they, when a psychologist is really constrained about what they are allowed to do. On the other hand, I would not want to be a participant in a study that didn't have mm. those things in place. So it's not a, it's not a straightforward answer. No, it's... Um... You know, everything you spoke about in terms of those ethical issues, in sociology, we'd probably call it, and I guess in psychology, it's all forms of deception mm-hmm. and all forms of misleading your participant in some way. Um, but, you know, you know, this also then raises questions about, well, if you did inform what was going on, are you affecting the validity of your yeah. findings? And in sociology, we, you know, we probably skirt around the idea of the Hawthorne effect and yes. changing behaviour, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um Outside of ethics, um, outside of ethics, are there any other considerations that are brought into play when doing a piece of uh, psychology research? Um, I mean, there are lots of, of considerations in terms of design of study, mm-hmm. and and we're, we're always we always have a balance. We always have a balance in psychology between validity and reliability. Mm-hmm. So we're always thinking about how do we make behavior meaningful how do we get how do we capture meaningful behavior mm. and at the same time um, make sure that it is done in an objective way in a standardized way in a way that is meaningful mm-hmm. and there's always that balance it's always tricky so it seems like it's i mean in sociology, in sociology parlance it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a toss-up between ethics and what we would call theoretical mm-hmm. issues yeah um would there ever be any consideration to again in sociology we would factor in things also like practical concerns like yeah. time access mm-hmm. to the sample group money um what's going on head time resources access yeah money and, and, and even things as far as like personal interest in the yeah. topic mm-hmm. um do any of those come into play they all come into play absolutely so in terms of for example, the most representative way of getting a sample of people from your target population would be using a stratified sample, yeah. which is where your sample represents the proportions of people in your target population in the right percentages mm-hmm. and proportions. Most psychologists don't tend to use that method because of the practical and financial yeah. constraints. They tend to use opportunity sampling mm-hmm. um, or volunteer sampling, and those things are biased. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, 
so much comes down to funding yeah. and and what is actually possible and um and investigator bias is something that psychologists obviously need to consider as well um and also we look at actually in psychology we look at the um the the, the implications of research especially socially sensitive research so we need to consider who is funding the research and how will those findings be used yeah. so that's a big factor that's that's taken into account as well yeah i mean that's a that's a huge one on one especially when i teach um teach methods in year 13 yeah, same. um you know what's the agenda of who's funding yeah. you and how does that mm-hmm. potentially influence or not influence yeah. what you're going to find out absolutely and what the what is the impact of research findings on not just the people in the because we've talked about individual participants mm. but what's the implication of of research into things like schizophrenia or autism or sexual behavior mm. um on on the wider community and other people affected other people linked to those groups as well so yeah, the wider implications of research is is another consideration for sure. I feel like we could open this even, unravel this even more, especially just on the funding side. Um, having known lots of friends who've gone off and gone and done research and mm-hmm. had to get funding, maybe not through their own through, through their own means, but through sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a whole other podcast because yes, I'm conscious yeah, yeah. we're coming to um, probably at the back end, mm-hmm. at the back end now. Um, one last question for you. Yeah. If, for our listeners, are there any books, websites, films, documentaries, mm-hmm. uh, anything of that type of uh, type of thing that you would suggest to there's, our listeners to engage with or find out about? There's so many. Psychology is really everywhere. Um, we, I mean, there's so much, and, and psychology is such a broad and diverse and multifaceted subject. Um, we love the babies um, documentary on Netflix for research into early attachment. Um, the there's a documentary. It's also on Netflix. Three identical strangers, which has a very interesting crossover between sociology and psychology. It's a fascinating bit of social psychological research. America. Yes. Yes, um, I know the one you're on about. Um, really interesting kind of to engage with nature nurture debate Mm -hmm. there's so much on netflix about kind of criminal behavior um and again the influence is how much is biological and how much is environmental Mm -hmm. um there are i mean there are so many books to engage with this this um we actually have a whole list of of uh movies and documentaries and series and uh, books on our website but the the BPS Research Digest website is a really interesting one for current research mm-hmm. um, and just sort of fascinating different areas there's also psychologytools.com mm-hmm. which it is, is really interesting too we're in a school people yeah, that's probably a good yeah, yeah, pause yeah. point <laughs> yeah um, absolutely fascinating um, and thoroughly enjoyable I hope at some point we could think of another one that maybe we could cross yeah, paths yeah definitely um, thank you for joining me today um Listeners, you've been listening to Jay Cross Presents Sound Sociology in conversation with. See you on the next episode. Lovely. That's fun. Uh, <laughs> it's good. It's not bad.